0: Please be seated. Well, welcome to December. It hit pretty quickly this year. And I know it snowed in November and October. It wasn't, it's not supposed to do that. But um, just pray for a snowless January. How's that? That'd be good. It's all good. Well, week by week as we study the Bible, we have observed some great heroes of the faith, spiritual giants who have changed history. These would be the award-winning Christians or the award-winning believers. They're the Hall of Famers. And we all look at the Bible and we study these people and say, these are Hall of Fame people. These are men and women of God who believed God and actually acted out their belief. But the Bible doesn't just tell of their great exploits and their great successes. The Bible is honest and accurate. It tells of their failures, too. Great men and women of faith also had their moments of unfaith, their moments of unbelief. They also experienced something that we experience as well, something called failure, failure. And we can take heart in that truth. In fact, Abram, who we began looking at last week, leaving a a comfort zone, went to the unknown by faith. He had incredible faith. And his faith is so great that he's actually given eight verses. Think about it. Abram's given eight verses in Hebrews 11, uh, that, that great chapter 11 that speaks of the heroes of the faith. He takes up eight of those verses. If you want to look at it, look at it. It's pretty amazing. But the Bible tells us the whole story. Abram was human too. Abram had great moments of faith. And Abram had great moments of unfaith or unbelief. Today we're going to look at unfaith. unfaith. And I'd like you to turn with me to Genesis 12. It's on page 9 in the Bible in the rack in front of you. Or it'll be on the projection as well. Genesis 12, 10 through 20. We're going to read those verses this morning. Now, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. Say, You are my sister So Pharaoh summoned Abram, what have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. An interesting story. And I want us to start this morning by looking at an act of unfaith. An act of unfaith. Roman numeral an act of faith. Abraham had believed God. Abraham had obeyed God and he had followed God to Canaan by faith. God said leave the place you where you live and go to a place I'll tell you when you get there. Okay. Um, How many of you have ever taken a trip like that? Probably not. By faith. And at some point where they were in Canaan there became a severe famine. So Abram went down to Egypt where there was no famine. Now, living, living in Wisconsin, and you guys know that, that geography affects weather. And sometimes you'll get just south of here, you'll get 14 inches of snow and up north you get nothing. Or it'll be a reverse. Just small geographical areas have drastic differences in weather. Drastic differences in weather. That happens in Wisconsin. The weather can vary very greatly, and in the Middle East, which is a relatively small area, parts of the land would experience terrible drought, and others, terrific abundance. And it was all dependent on the location and the weather. Global warming hadn't been invented yet, so they didn't blame that. They just said it's geographical, Okay, that's what it was. So they went to where the food was, which was Egypt. Now, it doesn't say that going to Egypt was an act of unfaith or that it was a sin or anything else. Years later, in fact, the descendants of Abraham through Joseph would go down to Egypt because they were experiencing famine again. And Joseph went down, or God sent him down to Egypt to preserve his family. That's another story later on. But when Abram came near to Egypt, he was struck with something we all experience. And that caused unfaith. Three causes of unfaith. The most common starting point for unfaith is something called fear. Fear. Fear, which is the opposite of faith. Fear. Now, Abram is not a neurotic, possessive, jealous husband. In the natural, his fears were well-founded. I mean, Sarai, his wife, at age 65, was a knockout. Now, we're not sure what her secret to looking so young at age 65 was, but some say her secret was in a cosmetic cream called oil of delay. (laughs) But Abram's fears were legitimate. Because often, immigrants in Egypt were exploited. And and in verses 14 to 15, it says the Egyptians found that Sarai was so beautiful that they told Pharaoh about it. See, whoever was king of Egypt could take any woman he wanted to be part of his palace harem. In those days, having a beautiful wife was very dangerous. You had to be very careful. And Abram experienced something we all experience, something called fear. Fear fear is the exact opposite of faith, and, and his fears, literally, they were logical, they were reasonable. You could easily see why he was afraid, and it was confirmed by the Egyptians. But it was wrong, it was unfaith, and it was sin. Now we, we fear many things. And most of the things we fear are, are pretty logical, they're, they're well-founded, they're reasonable. Now there are irrational fears, they're called phobias. phobias. And if you read about phobias, you find that there are things like fear of heights, fear of close spaces, which is claustrophobia, fear of open spaces, fear of snakes or mice, or fear of spiders, which is arachnophobia, fear of the dark, fear of bugs or insects, fear of dogs, fear of cats, fear of elevators, fear of flying, you can name it. I think that you could probably find about 50 or more irrational fears or those kinds of fears that are called phobias, diagnosed by today's psychologists. And depending on our childhood or traumatic experiences of life, we may all have had at least or have at least one phobia. Okay, we're not going to share that this morning, but all of us probably have at least one phobia that really bothers us. Now, when when I was single, somebody recommended I read a book. And the book was entitled, At Least We Were Married. At least we were married. This couple met, and they courted, and they married, and on their honeymoon they got in this terrible car crash where the bride was killed and it talked about how God worked things out. I was traumatized. I said, Don't read that book. It's like it gave me this fear of singleness for the rest of my life, because you know that was my fear. Something was gonna happen to whoever I was gonna meet, etc. Well, we've been married thirty nine years, praise God. But anyway, don't don't read that book. <laughs> fear. But aside from phobias, we actually experience rational fears. You know, when our children are small, when our kids are born, there was the sudden infant death syndrome. Everybody's afraid of that. So I would go in the middle of the night, go in and just make sure my kids are breathing. I'm sure, I'm serious. It was just something, there was this fear. Kidnappings were in the news. So people want to put leashes or GPS tracking devices on their children. For health issues, everybody's supposed to immunize their children so they don't get a the disease. Then we read that the immunization causes the disease. So we live in fear. What are we do with that? Children. There are a lot of fears associated with having children. And the next thing you know, they start driving. Now, that, that's a rational fear. You guys know that. Maybe it's marriage, fearing for fidelity or, or the, a family tragedy if you have a family. Four times in my life, and I... I remember every one of these very distinctly. Four times I p- answered my cell phone and I heard this Dad, I've been in an accident. Now, the first time was four miles down the road where Brian had gotten a little fender bender, and that, was, that wasn't as, as big a deal. The second one, we were actually down in Los Angeles visiting our daughter, our other daughter, and she got in a minor accident, and it was four miles away, five miles away from us. That wasn't a big deal. Now, the last two were, we were in Seattle, they were in Los Angeles, and the car was totaled, but she was okay. So whenever I pick up the phone, and it's one of my daughters, I always remember, Dad, I've been in an accident. That's a fear, okay? That's a rational fear. Maybe you're afraid for your job or your livelihood or your your money or security. We have thousands of fears. And most of them are, are, are rational, reasonable, and based on facts. Fear. We all experience fear. What is your number one fear? Just about everybody has at least one number one fear. And I'll tell you, there's a verse, and I think I put this down for you guys. It's a verse that God gave me one day. I was just kind of worried, you know. Um, we, we, our, we were living in Seattle. Our daughters were living in Los Angeles. And, it, you know, Los Angeles is a big area. Very, very crazy. And, and there were a lot of nights we were praying fervently for protection and all those kinds of things to protect our kids. And he, he did. But God gave me this verse, Psalm one twelve seven. 7. Psalm 112, says, 7, 7 says, I will have no fear of bad news. I will have no fear of bad news. Those of you with kids, parents, people traveling or whatever, read Psalm 112.7. I will have no fear of bad news because fear is the opposite of faith. Fear looks at circumstances. Faith looks at God. Fear looks at people. Faith looks at God. Fear looks at our capabilities. Faith looks at God. Fear looks at the worst that can possibly happen. And faith looks at God. Unfaith begins with fear. Abram took his eyes off God and looks at the situation. And the result? Fear resulting in an act of unfaith. Unfaith. Now fear in this instance also leads to the second cause of unfaith. Deception. Deception which is the opposite of truth. In verse 13 when Abram said, say, say you're my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Now, most of us blame Abram for this deception. However, there were two sides to this deception. Sarai went along with it. She went along with it. She was silent. Now, deception, in this case, has two sides. The first one is the active sense of deception. Abram told a lie. And actually, actually, when you look at it, it was, it was a half-truth. Sarai was his half-sister. But it was still a lie. Uh, Just so you know, and I'm on record as saying, a half-truth is a whole lie. Okay, Just saying, a half-truth is a whole lie. And so this was deception in an active sense. There's also deception in a passive sense. Saying nothing. Saying nothing. Deception by silence. Someone says something disparagingly of another person. You know it's not true, but you just stay silent. We can deceive by Passively staying silent. So there's active and passive deception. Both were wrong. And we find that fear can lead to deception. Fear is based on what we know or we think we know is true. Real truth is what God knows to be true. See, Abram and Sarah had nothing to worry about. That was God's truth. He was sovereign. He was going to take care of them but by looking at their circumstances instead of looking at God, they had fear, not faith. I know none of us ever do that. Abram and Sarai replaced God's truth with untruth resulting in unfaith. In unfaith, we don't look at God, therefore we don't see the real truth. The fact that God really is in control here. God really is sovereign. This happens to us all the time. We know that Satan is a roaring lion seeking to intimidate us and deceive us. So we live this life of quiet and frantic fear. And we even look at the Bible and say, did God really say, I mean, you know, I know God said this, but did he really say, is he gonna, is he gonna help? Of course, we don't let anybody else see our fear. That would be unspiritual. And don't let God know you're afraid because, you know, he might think you're less than spiritual. Well, let me clue you. God knows. I just tell him. Okay? You have fear. Tell him. Do you have fears? Tell God your fears. So, fear, self deception leads to, thirdly, self reliance. Self reliance, which is the opposite of trust. That's taking things into our own hands. Fear to deception to self reliance. Self reliance. Abram may have rationalized, if something happens to me, what will God do? His his plans will be destroyed. So he took everything into his own hands. It's unfaith. How many times do we take everything into our own hands? Faced with legitimate fears, being deceived into thinking we're all alone, we just kind of take things into our own hands. I do it. I know we probably all do that. Then we're in real trouble because then all we have is our own resources, our own power, our own strength, our own intellect, our own reason. And at times like that, I i know I don't know about you, I begin to feel very small and very helpless because now it's up to me. <laughs> and when it's up to me, I'm limited what I can do. So that's an act of unfaith. Abram did it. We do it. Let's look at the results of unfaith. We're not going to spend a lot of time on the results of unfaith because we usually know what those results are. First one is failure. Abram failed God. Sarai was the instrument of God to fulfill his promises, and Abram gave her away. He failed. Without Sarai, what had he had? Nothing. Without Sarai, he had lost the promise of posterity. Now, as we read in the text, he got a lot in payment because. Anybody that, that, was, that was given to the king, he would give him a large dowry. But all that wealth that he was given meant nothing without God's best. All that wealth without God's best meant nothing. And unfaith can result in failure and failure to experience God's best, God's best for us. And you may be sitting here this morning and say, you know, I I, I can identify. I I look successful, but in reality, I have failed. Or God's best has been put aside for something less than the best. Something less than God's best. I've seen innocent children suffer because of a, a father's unfaith. I've seen whole congregations or churches suffer because of a pastor's unfaith. Or the leaderships acts of unfaith we've seen whole nations suffer because of leadership's unfaith and the results of unfaith can be terrible sometimes but we all know that the rest of the time i want to talk today about god's faithfulness number three god's faithfulness during moments of unfaith we see god's faithfulness first of all it's in intervention intervention God intervenes, God interrupts, and no matter what our fears, our deception, self-reliance, or unfaith, no matter what the consequences of our unfaith, God is still in control. God allows this to only go so far, then he intervenes. And In in Genesis, God exposed the truth, he brought truth to the situation, and he intervened by bringing serious diseases or plagues. He got everyone's uh, attention. Intervention. Now, I don't know if we'll ever know the sight of heaven, how many times God has intervened on our behalf. How many times God has intervened on our behalf. Situations of our own making. Situations that we got ourselves into. Times I should have known better. Times I should have been in an accident or times I could have been really hurt or intervening in a potentially damaging relationship taking things into our own hands, and God intervenes. God intervenes. He he interrupts. God's faithful, and his faithfulness demonstrated through intervention. It's also shown in protection, letter B. God protected Sarai from becoming defiled or committing adultery. God protected Abram from Pharaoh's anger and certain execution. And interestingly, in this passage, we find that Pharaoh seemed to have more faith in Abram's God than Abram did. (laughs) He, he said, You got a God. I'm not going to mess with your God. Protection. At the height of the Vietnam War, there was a young Christian soldier getting ready to deploy. And before he left, his chaplain gave him a copy of a New Testament. And inside the cover of that New Testament, he wrote nine words. He wrote nine words. And those nine words gave this young man the courage to face every circumstance he faced in Vietnam. Those nine words, every man is immortal until his work is done. Every man is immortal until his work is done. Words of faith about God's faithfulness, God's protection, and God's sovereignty. I share these words with soldiers and their families who were deploying from Fort Lewis to go to the Gulf War to sustain them, realizing that God was going to protect them. Today, you may have a loved one or in war or a place of violence or danger. Maybe, the, maybe you have a loved one or in law enforcement, away from home, a faraway place. But know this, that they are immortal until their work is done. You are immortal until your work is done. God will protect them. God will protect you. God gives protection for our families and children and loved ones. And when we're in God's care, his protection, we're as safe as if we're sleeping in our bed at home. Literally. Because God is the protection, God's protection. God's faithfulness also provided, let her see, escape, escape. God protects us while in danger, but also removes us from danger. In this instance, we see how God orchestrated events to remove them from danger, taking them out of the danger zone. And finally, God's faithfulness provides blessing, blessing. Abram walked away from Egypt with far more than he had arrived with. How does does God do that? How does he take our unfaith and unfaithfulness and and how does he turn that around for our good? How does he take difficult circumstances? How how does he do that? Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Only God can take the negative, only God can take sin, only God can take unfaith and turn it into blessing. It's an amazing thing what God does. And he does it over and over and over again in our lives. God is faithful. A few verses I wanna read as we close this morning. Psalm 103 verse 14 says, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers we are but dust. He remembers we're dust. We're humans. Psalm 18, 19 says, He rescued me because he delighted in me. Psalm 31, 15, my times are in your hands. Statement of faithfulness. Psalm 27: Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And Psalm 46:10, one of my favorites. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Another version says, let go and relax, and know that I am God. I've quoted that more times than I can remember. Let go and relax. In the face of unfaith, fear, deception, self-reliance, failure, and, and certain disaster, totally undeserving of anything, God steps in and demonstrates again and again His faithfulness in the face of unfaith. Are you living in unfaith? Remember, God is faithful. Let's pray.